Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, so this is the circular setting on high gain. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. I'm not your buddy, guy. I'm, I'm not your guy, friend. friend. <laughs> And Eric will probably pick, be picked up more than either of us because you're in the center of the cardioid. Yeah, of course. All right. That well, sounds like a medical term. The cardioid, yeah. The center right? of the cardioid. I've got chronic cardioid. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to sit so close to you. <laughs> Welcome, dear listeners, to another great episode of Reconsider, and today's episode is particularly great because we're joined by Heather! Woo! Hello! Yeah, and so Heather is... I'm Heather from the Renaissance English History Podcast, and in my podcast, I talk about 16th century England, so... You just helped me reconsider some stuff in 16th century England. It's true. So we just hung out on Heather's show talking about the Tudors and some of the conventional narratives around them. Mm-hmm. Um, Heather's joining us today. We really encourage you to check out her show. Definitely one of our favorite history podcasts out there. If you guys watch the Tudors or like Shakespeare or think Henry VIII or Elizabeth or Anne Boleyn were cool or any of that. Or if a... you don't think they're cool. Oh, good point. If you want to learn more about them at all, if you have any kind of opinion... Or if you don't have an opinion but you would like to have an opinion, or if you don't know anything and you would like to know something, you can come to my show at EnglandCast, E-N-G-L-A-N-D, EnglandCast.com. Cool. I also just want to plug your other show because I really like it. Heather has a second podcast called... uh, Watching the Tudors. Watching the Tudors, that's right. So if you've seen the Tudors, and I saw the Tudors several years ago, I kind of went to myself, ah, it'll be Hollywood, and it'll be fun, it'll be entertaining, it won't be super historically accurate. And I finished the show, and I'm like, eh, you know what? It'd be interesting if, you know, I knew what was historically accurate and what wasn't, and then I never did any more research on it. And, and <laughs> I wish I knew this. Oh, well. It's like, it's, it's, it was like what 1980 was like if you had any question and not the internet. It's like, huh, I wonder what the capital of Nigeria is. But I guess we'll never know. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't even 1980. That was like 1992. That's true, right. Anyway, so the concept of Heather's show is she's rewatching the entire show, The Tudors, and each episode of her podcast tracks one episode of The Tudors, and she talks about what's real and not. So if you're curious about how Hollywood did it up, man, it's a, it's good so far. Yeah, and we do it with my husband, who doesn't know anything about the 16th century. He asks me questions. Yeah, and I love that, because I always find myself saying, oh, man, I really wish I could ask Heather that question, and then her husband does. I'm like, yes, thank you. Yes. <laughs> you guys are simpatico, you and, yeah, with the questions. Muy simpatico. Muy simpatico. 
So I want to tell you guys a story. We're going to start with the story. There's a time that you may be familiar with. A whole bunch of people from a hostile religion are immigrating into your country. Refugees from a nasty regional war are trying to show up, but people are very, very afraid for the security of taking them in. The immigrants are they're taking important jobs, and it's a, it's a bad economic time. And people are particularly worried about economic competition from immigrants with lower costs. They're going to drive down the quality of life for laborers in the home country. Some of these people might be out to destroy your way of life and, and maybe actually try to impose a religion. What year is it? I mean... All these people just want to make their country great again, right? They do. Sounds pretty familiar. It's obviously 1555. What? That's not what what we were expecting. This narrative is from Tudor England. And Heather, so we've, we've got this narrative that sounds strikingly familiar to now. Can you tell us a little more about what's going on? I would love to. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Heather. Thanks for asking me, you guys. Um, so what we had going on in Tudor and Elizabethan England was religious wars going on in Europe. And also we had the Protestant Reformation in England. We also had some harsh economic times in the mid-1500s. And we had a queen who wanted to marry a foreign power. And that was Mary the First. So the short version is that there were refugees coming from the wars in Europe, the religious wars, the Thirty Years' Wars in Europe, and they were coming to England because they thought they were going to get sanctuary in Protestant England. There was also then, under the reign of Elizabeth, fear that Catholics were posing as Protestant immigrants coming in to actually pretend that they were Protestants, but really they were going to be Catholics. And when Spain invaded with the Spanish Armada, that they were going to rise up and fight Elizabeth from the inside and that there would be all of these plots from the Catholics to destroy Elizabeth and to destroy the English way of life. And also the Catholics were taking better jobs and people were afraid of that. And so there was a general fear of Catholics coming into England uh, and and Catholics posing as Protestants and coming in as part of this refugee wave. So I'm going to hazard a guess. You just went through this sort of emotional roller coaster, right? As Eric was telling you about this really terrible time with immigrants taking jobs, maybe if you have a particular position on the current environment, you're getting a little frustrated, you're getting emotional because it's very present in your life and it's something that's going on right now. And then as soon as Heather said... Tudor England, you went, I don't really, like, maybe you cared as much, but you weren't as emotionally attached to it anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because it happened 500 years ago. So this is what we're going to reconsider a little bit today. We're going to talk about how emotional attachment to contemporary political issues can sometimes, if not blind us, then certainly anchor us in ways that prevent us from getting to deeper realities, right? And one of the deeper realities that we're going to talk to today is that while... The narrative for many people on the immigration issue can feel like, oh my god, everything's changing, it's never going to be the same again, we need to get back to the way America was, or we need to fix all these problems that are you know, brand new and cropping up in this dangerous 21st century. It's all happened before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's easier to try to disassemble something and analyze it and understand 
what different policies could mean for the situation when we're looking at something 500 years ago versus what's in front of our faces. Not so emotionally attached to it. Exactly. It's not so present and immediate for you. Yeah. Yeah. So... Heather, we're in this situation where a lot of Catholics are coming over. People are really worried about them. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was England's reaction to this wave of Catholics, and what happened to the Catholics and yeah. the English society? Well, it, we've got a couple of different narratives with this because it was actually the Protestants who were coming over, but there was fear of Catholics posing as Protestants, and mm. so one of the things. The Protestant Reformation, you can say, officially began with Henry VIII wanting to marry Anne Boleyn and starting his own church. And that kind of opened the floodgates, even though he was never a Protestant. It opened the floodgates for the Protestants to come in. And people saw England as being this separate. It was an island. It was safer. The the wars that were going on in Europe and France with the persecution of the Huguenots and all of that. And it wasn't going to affect you so much in England. So people saw it as this safe place that they could go um, where they could escape and, and get away. Now, then Henry's son, Edward, had been raised staunchly Protestant. So he was really OK with that. He was like, Bringleman, even Henry himself was still burning Protestants and, and killing <sighs> Protestants. You really have a thing about the burning, don't you? It's just, I, like, I can't, it just sounds, it's just a terrible thing that happened. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We yeah, heard yeah. on, when we were on Heather's show, which you should go listen to, uh, we we talked about that the belief at the time was that burning was actually quite humane. And why merciful. was it quite, quite merciful? Merciful, that's it. It was merciful. really merciful because for, if you were a heretic, the whole point was that you were going to go to hell. And hell was eternal. Like, like what what's the saying about diamonds are forever? Like hell was forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> Worst marketing campaign ever. <laughs> and so before you went to hell, which was fire and brimstone and pain and suffering, before you went there, you should have one last chance to repent and to save your soul. And so you should experience the fires of hell before you got there. And that would give you a chance. These fires would only last 45 minutes or so, maybe a little bit less if you could give somebody give you some gunpowder. You know, Um, because then you would explode sooner. So there was like the story of people would bring gunpowder to their friends and put them around their necks or whatever. So they would explode. You look really shocked by that. Um, Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was actually seen as a merciful punishment because it would give you the chance to experience hell and repent before you actually went to hell, which was forever. You might say, give me an opportunity to reconsider your religious position. Oh, Oh. Oh. so sorry. (laughs) So, so there was, so Edward was really pro Protestant said, yeah, bring them all in. But then, England reverted to Catholicism under Mary. And so for five years, Protestants really weren't welcome in. Uh, But she did let some Catholics come. uh, So it was getting even more confused. And then under Elizabeth, who wanted to, the famous quote is she didn't want to make mirrors into, or windows into men's souls. Hmm. So she was like, as long as you obey the, the church, or as long as you obey the country, I don't really care what you think. But that started off really well. But towards the end of her reign, as war with Spain got more and more imminent, 
it became, it wasn't so nice anymore. So Catholics were persecuted a lot more. There was a lot of suspicion. This is the era where we see priest holes and there was like an architect who was specializing in priest holes where you could hide priests who would come in and, um, you know, secret masses being celebrated in, in secret homes being raided and stuff like that. So there was a lot of persecution against Catholics towards the end of Elizabeth's reign because of fear with war with Spain. And that's when we see the most... Well, we, there's kind of two phases. The first is when Mary, who was a Catholic, wanted to marry Philip of Spain, who she did marry. There was actually a rebellion, Wyatt's Rebellion, because they didn't want her marrying Spain because they didn't want a Spanish king coming in. And there was a lot of fear of Spanish at that point. There was like you did not want to be Spanish in England at mm. that point. It was really, really, really bad. And there was uh, a lot of um, riots where apprentices would riot and try to kill foreigners and threaten foreigners. And, um, you know, it wasn't good at all. Um, and then there was the second wave of xenophobia, fear of, of the other, was then in Elizabeth's reign with fear of the Catholics, again, related to Spain. But at that point, it was also, they didn't want anybody coming in because you couldn't tell who was Catholic. They all looked the same, right? Which is something we have heard now. Did they all have to register? <laughs> Actually, yeah, there was... Oh, my gosh. The, they didn't... It was supposed to be a joke. No, but... The, the government, it, it was actually, they, they wanted to keep track. They didn't know how many there were. Because at the time, it's not like you registered for ID cards and stuff like that. Like you need to get a driver's license or anything mm -hmm. like that. So there wasn't really any way of keeping track how many foreigners there were. And the government actually wanted to try to help the foreigners as much as they could. Elizabeth actually wanted to be very welcoming because, here's the other narrative, mm. she saw that they brought technological advances, especially mm -hmm. the ones coming from the low countries who had um, spinning, the, the cloth trade. So different methods of weaving that were more technologically advanced that she thought that they could help England and there was actually economically speaking people really her administration really saw that there was a, a pro to having the immigrants coming in and so they tried to be quite welcoming and they wanted to create these registries where people like so that they could try to help them uh, that then backfired because a lot of her register a lot of her parliament there was a, a bill debated of, of kicking them all out and also of uh, punishing them all, making them pay extra taxes, making them, you know, pay greater, greater taxes. And then there was often apprentice revolts as well, because the hmm. apprentices were the ones that were going to be out of jobs first. And there was also the foreigners would congregate in their own neighborhoods, as you do, and would give their jobs to their friends and their other people who were of the same country. And so apprentices and were very much afraid that they were losing their jobs as well. So there was a lot of riots and, and threatening to to the foreigners then too. So just for a quick historical orientation, the England we are talking about is after the England of Henry VIII, who is Henry VIII with the six wives, the Mary that we're talking about, you might have heard of Bloody Mary, mm -hmm. it is that one, and the uh, Queen Elizabeth we're talking about is of the Elizabethan England during which time Shakespeare was mm. writing his, you know, cool stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, bad stuff, right? Yeah. So we've got, actually, mostly Protestants coming over. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> a lot of suspicion that they might be Catholics. Burning and, and persecution mm -hmm. and deporting. Burning priests. Burning priests. Uh, and then voting? 
Well, it it was illegal to be Catholic then. They mm. passed some laws, and the Catholic Church actually didn't make a reappearance in England until the 1850s. Wow. So for 300 years. And then, of course, later on, as we, we have the gunpowder plot, which, you know, was 1605, where they a Catholic tried to blow up Parliament. So there was a lot of fear. That, that confirmed everybody's suspicions at that point that Catholics could not be trusted. Right. That Catholic... I mean, they were he was going to blow up Parliament, right? Yeah. Like, the whole government. And is therefore a representative of, of, of all Catholics. Catholics. No, but, Guy Fawkes? Yeah. All right, got it. Cool. Yeah, Guy Fawkes. may have seen and, the mask and be for Vendetta... Yeah. This and, is the guy. That yeah, the and guy. they caught him. I mean, it was literally like hours away because somebody got a tip off that it was going to happen. And they went down and they brought in gunpowder. I mean, it was going to blow the house. If he'd gotten away with it, it was going to blow everything to smithereens. And it would have killed the king. It would have you know, killed the, everybody who was in power. It would have been a really bad. Can you imagine if somebody blew up Congress and and everybody was going to be in session and the king was opening parliament. So everybody was going to be there. It would have been a really bad... And can you imagine if a Muslim would, would do that to, mm-hmm. like... <laughs> I was going to say, this guy, Fox guy, sounds like a blatant act of terrorism. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was, I but mean, it was. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, even... And then England fought the, the English Civil Wars, which in, in part came from uh, Charles the first being married to a French Catholic, and people were afraid of her influence and, the cat, and you know, that she was going to educate her children, the future monarchs, uh, in the Catholic way. And uh, and so people were afraid of that. And, you know, so there was the English Civil Wars and then the revolution, the glorious revolution of 1688, where they essentially deposed a, a monarch because he was Catholic and invited in somebody who had a lesser claim to the throne because she was Protestant mm-hmm. with her husband. And so it was a foreigner who was a foreigner. Uh, yeah. Well, she, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, well, and William well, kind of ended up running the show more than Mary. In that one, yeah. Too. Yeah. Look at you. I've studied a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there was a long history of fear of Catholics, and England fought a civil war in part because of the Catholics. And uh, so it became, uh, it was pretty much illegal to to practice Catholicism. And there was a quote even uh, that somebody said at the end of the 19th century, people thought it was better to be an atheist than a papist. That's crazy. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The thing I want to say is, why are we talking about Catholics and Protestants in Tudor England? Now, we've already implicated that there are some parallels. And just in case some of them were missed, because it's a bit of a whirlwind history, I'm going to draw out some of the parallels. And then we're going to talk about what are the different conditions under which these similar kinds of situations can end poorly or end well. Hmm. What are some of the parallels? Well, 
we have a bit of an economic crisis where there's, you know, job depression and worried about, you know, people are worried about foreigners, in particular immigrants, taking jobs or, uh, you know, companies run by, you know, foreign companies taking jobs through, you know, superior technology and, and lower costs, right? So we've got an economic situation that looks a little bit like the one today and people are worried about some similar stuff. We have refugees from a war coming over that uh, people are worried about being moles, right? Being uh, mm -hmm. sort of secret agents right. designed to attack and take down the country from the inside. Uh, and so there's fear of all of these refugees as a whole. There are some isolated acts by bad people, mm -hmm. some of whom happen to be Catholic, um, mm -hmm. that then turn into greater anti-Catholic sentiment across the board mm -hmm. uh, rather than being concentrated on that, that one group. And what's interesting is some of what's different between Tudor England, between the Protestants and Catholics, and modern United States. The biggest one being there doesn't seem to be so much of a fight for power between these different groups of thought or religion. And we want to explore why that is as well, because one of the things that raised the stakes so much in England was that if one group was in charge, either the Catholics or the Protestants, there was a risk that your religious practice was going to be suppressed. Mm -hmm. Thus the, the what are they called? The priest holes, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And secret masses and mm -hmm. such, where people had to practice their religion in like specially designed secret rooms in their house, lest they'd be arrested. Right. Yeah. Now, what, what I think might be interesting if we're talking about historical comparisons is it's important to recognize the similarities and the differences, right? And I, I think... Uh, you pointed out a good difference. We're not seeing the power jockeying like that in the U.S. Something that comes to my mind, and it's just kind of off, off the top of my head here, is part of the reason, part of, part of an explanation for that could be that the fracturing, the division, occurred within the borders of England. So mm -hmm. people were already in the realms of power when that split occurred and the jockeying began. Mm -hmm. We were obviously not seeing that in the U.S. because we did not have a split from our Christian, if you want to call it Christian heritage, with the, you know, some of the original founders, splitting into, you know, a sect of Sunni Islam. However, in the Middle East, there was a split between Sunni Islam and Shia Islam, and they are going at each other, and there are power struggles that, in mm, a way, absolutely. are more comparable in terms of the intra-faith division that existed in Tudor England. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Part of what also may be different in the United States is that the population is so overwhelmingly Christian of some sort. And we'll talk about, well, some of it's Catholic, some of it's Protestant. There's all sorts of different kinds of Protestants. But that a, like a, you know, if we're talking about a sort of Christian, Muslim, like Christian fear of Islam, one of the reasons it's different from the Protestant fear of Catholicism is that there was a plausible path to Catholics taking power, where there's really not a plausible path mm. to Muslims taking power, as it were, in the United States. In terms of, like, a theocracy, certainly. Exactly. If for, no other, if for no other reason, then there aren't nearly enough of them, right? So we're, we're in Protestant, or in England at the time, I'm assuming that Catholics and Protestants, the populations were fairly close. Especially in that time period, because it was still quite fluid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to make the distinction that when you said like Muslims taking power, we're talking about like a theocratic based exactly. institution, mm -hmm. right? That's that's just a distinction worth making, right? So why uh, why talk about all this and what can we glean from this uh, 
this history of Tudor England. Well, I'm going to read you a, a headline from the uh, really well-checked... Um, yeah, America's best news source. Uh, America's best news source. The Onion. Uh, it reads as follows. Historians politely remind a nation to check what's happened in past before making any big decisions. <laughs> so, obviously, The Onion's a fake news source, but it kind of makes a good point, right? Because while I have no idea... I can make some educated guesses about what's going to happen about with you know some of these tensions related to immigration in the United States in the next several years. I ultimately don't know. But I can turn to Heather, sitting in the room next to me, and say, so, what happened in England? Well, something I want to go back to, because I kind of forgot to talk about it before, but it was the first riot against foreigners in mm. 1517. And I wanted to read you the kind of chronicle, what the chronicle said about it. Is, is that okay? Let's do it. Can that I do sounds that? great. All right. So it became known as Evil May Day. And it was 1517. And it there was an inflammatory sermon by a guy called Dr. Bell. And he appealed to Englishmen to cherish and defend themselves and to hurt and grieve aliens for the common weal. And people started attacking foreigners immediately, and it turned into then the the apprentices and the Thames watermen and city porters um, ran crazy around the city of London, attacking foreigners, looting their homes and their shops. And in this case, the foreigners were mainly French, and yeah, and it was you know a huge peer, a, a huge outbreak of, of violence against foreigners, and. Um, with the chronicle that was written in fifteen or yeah in fifteen forty eight, so this is thirty years later, said that in the eighth year of King Henry the Eighth's reign, um, the Frenchmen and other strangers said and boasted themselves to be in such favor with the king and his council that they sat not by the rulers of the city, and the multitude of strangers was so great about London that poor English artificers could scarce get any living, and most of all, the strangers were so proud that they disdained, mocked, and oppressed the Englishmen, which was the beginning of the grudge. And I just think that's interesting because it's kind of like you hear the same sorts of things now, that people don't want to join in with the culture, that people don't want to learn the language, that all this kind of stuff that you hear about immigrant groups in general. And uh, because you love Shakespeare, are you familiar with the the, the Thomas More play that was recently kind of unveiled? No. Really? I should... I should let you read it. Qua, qua, qua. <laughs> so Thomas More, in real life, gave a stirring speech in what is now Trafalgar Square to the rioters, begging them to not riot and to mm. treat the, the, uh, the strangers. And I don't know if you'd like to read some of that. And this is Shakespeare. I have an idea. Okay. I will record this... Yeah. Recently found Shakespeare. That's awesome. I will record this on a separate episode. Just this. Just this. Okay. And Heather can give the introduction again, just so you know what it is. But yeah, let's do that. Yeah. No, let's and it's it. it's very stirring. And Ian McKellen actually had played him, and there's a YouTube video that's um, you know him him doing it, and it's amazing. So we'll, we'll link to it on the show notes for sure. Yeah. 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 So that's my story about the evil May Day riots. So, so what was it? Sorry, I totally went backwards. Tensions <laughs> are good. No, we we're saying, you know, what's cool about history is we can look at all of these similarities as if we were in the middle mm -hmm. of a similar conflict that mm -hmm. occurred in the past, except we can say, okay, how yeah, did it yeah, end yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it ended up in a civil war. That's bad. Yeah. Um, and killing the monarch, the first case of regicide. That's bad. Yeah. They killed Charles I. Yep. 
And the, the um, it was called the Protectorate with Oliver Cromwell, who was a charismatic military leader who rose to power in the vacuum of the monarch being gone. Dead. And yeah, and yeah. he imposed strict Calvinistic views mm. on society and outlawed the theater, for example, outlawed music, outlawed celebrations of Christmas, all that kind of stuff. And that lasted for a while. And then the monarchy was restored because people kind of came to their senses and said that that didn't work. And so now we have a constitutional monarchy, you know, in England. Uh, but it, you know, if you were Catholic, it wasn't very good for mm-hmm. uh, until recent times. And it's still a big deal, you know, when the Pope visits England and there was um, a mass in Westminster Abbey for the first time in, you know, 500 years or whatever, just kind of in the last couple of years. And it was a really big deal. And and so, um, you know, I, I think if, if you were Catholic, it didn't work out well. And in terms of the country as a whole, they they fought a civil war. Interesting. Yeah. So what... What can we take away from this historical example? What can be reconsidered here? I mean, we're certainly not saying immigration, therefore civil war, right? That's not right, right, a lesson right, to be no. learned here. And I think... Oh, that's what I thought. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, we will We will come back to that. Okay. Oh, wait, did you mean immigration bad? Immigration civil yeah, war? Totally. Oh, I no, kind I'm of kidding. thought you meant, Sorry, like, immigration joke. good. Because if you don't let the immigrants in and respect them, then there'll be a civil war. And those oh. are the only two positions to have, right? Yes. Immigration right, good only... or immigration right. bad? <laughs> Good. Okay. You know what? Let's just stop the episode there. Yeah. And it's either if you're if you're mean to the immigrants, civil war. If you're too nice to the immigrants, civil, civil war. war. Either way, it's going to end in civil war. Gosh. Oh. It doesn't bode well. No. Now the difference, right? I keep coming back to this this idea of pointing out historical similarities and differences because I think it's easy to pick and choose examples. And if you pick and choose your examples, you can often infer things that don't actually exist if you took a larger sample set, right? Right. So the similarity here, there are certainly some immigration issues. There were tensions that existed. We can can find that there were immigration tensions that existed in the past and that these sort of things are not new. They occur and countries can work through them. The differences, one of the things that I pointed out is that the fracture in Tudor England occurred within the country at a time when countries in that area were governed by essentially universalist ideas, either Protestantism or Catholicism, and could really shock with strong military forces, mm-hmm. you know, the populations there. Whereas the example I gave was Shia and Sunni Islam, right? That you could say that something along the lines of a 30 years war in the Middle East is occurring, which is ultimately what happened at the end of, not Tudor England, but a little after in the Mm -hmm. 30 years war in the early 17th century. So that is a difference between the immigration situation in the U.S., certainly, Mm -hmm. and in in Tudor England. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd expand on that saying, you know, if we look to the United States, or even most of Europe now, the idea that Catholics and Protestants are going to start killing each other is a bit absurd, Mm -hmm. right? You know, people, some people will grumble, there may even be arguments, but the idea that there's going to be a war over the the schism in uh, Christian religion in the West is, is a little strange. And I think one of the things we can look to to explain that is the advent of liberalism, um, as we know it, like the Enlightenment philosophy mm-hmm. that depoliticized religion, that said, okay, maybe we shouldn't have power based on religion anymore. Maybe the the country shouldn't dictate what religion you're allowed to have and what mm-hmm. religion you're allowed to practice. Maybe we should just maybe we should just let people, you know, do whatever religion they want to do. Do their thing. Is that is that cool? 
Everyone said, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So the stakes got lowered a lot. Mm. Here's my border. Don't come into it. I won't go into yours. Also that, yeah. And so long as you do that and don't claim to have some, like, sovereignty over my territory, like, mm. we're, we're kind of cool in the gang, bro. Yeah. But it's interesting, something else that I was just thinking about, and I don't know if this applies or what, but... It at the time there it was such a, there were so many changes from uh, everything was still so new, so I was just thinking as well about the Saint Bartholomew's Day massacre, which was another reason why Protestants started really fearing Catholics, and that was happened in Paris in the fifteen seventies, and it was when literally Catholics kind of went mad and like massacred throughout France Protestants, and there's stories about like literally in the streets and in the Seine it was blocked up like damned up from the bodies and people were thrown in while they were still alive people just had their heads caught chopped off pregnant women had their babies cut out of them in front of them oh, and then they died. i mean it was like really and elizabeth's chief minister one well, one of who he became her chief spy master francis walsingham mm. he was in paris at the time and he was protestant when this happened and he managed to survive it was a it was really touchy for him even though he was a diplomat so you would think he would have some kind of diplomatic immunity or something like that not um, from the mob not from the mob no and it started because a, a french prince was marrying uh there was like a protestant and catholic marriage that was going on that was supposed to help heal some wounds and it all turned horribly bad and it, it, it actually went on for like months it spread from village to village and it, it took about I don't know two or three months before the whole thing kind of calmed down and Catholics mm. stopped murdering Protestants but you know people people took it so seriously because it was like life or death and it was mm. but at the same time any excuse to like the other you know, mm. I don't know that those people who killed the Protestants were in any way motivated by religious right. things because it's it's bad to kill in all religions. But it's just this this whole thing of how easy it can be. And there were people killing neighbors like it. And that's how it started, because your neighbor, the guy would say, well, I, I live next to him. He's a Protestant. I'm going to kill him now. And people mm. like settling scores and stuff like that. But I just it's so easy to like turn and and. Otherfy. Otherfy is oh God, that word? That's a great word. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> Do not otherfy people. Mm. Yeah. And and I just wonder, like, and I, and I guess that's what's going on in Sunni and Shia wars right now. It just, I don't know where I'm trying to get to with this, but it, it just, uh, where am I even trying to get well, to? Well, your with point this? that it right, that it can, it can wane, like, it doesn't have to be the case that. Two groups of different ideas, different skin colors, different religions, whatever. They don't have to fight. These yeah. things, there are conditions that cause this to happen. Mm -hmm. So, for example, between Sunni and Shia Islam, as much as there's been fighting in the past, it was the case that, for example, during the Ottoman Empire, there was relative peace. Mm -hmm. During the 1950s and 60s, during like the secular nationalist um, and sometimes communist or socialist phase of during the Middle East, there was relative peace between Sunnis mm -hmm. and Shiites. There wasn't an ongoing regional sectarian war, and then some condition changed that caused it to flare up again. Do you think it's just humanity, like human nature, to otherfy people when times aren't, like when something, when that something comes up, whatever it is, whether it's a, a crisis of some kind and bad harvests or bad economics or bad whatever, like, do you think like that's just kind of, like, do you think we're just kind of like one step away from otherfying the whole, like from, from riots? 
I think otherfying, which again, I love the word. I'm going to start using it. <laughs> Definitely. I think I think otherfying is something is a it is a trait that exists in human nature. Yeah. I I don't know when it is more prone to come up than others, but I think you can make the case that in times of strain, people do look for someone to blame. Oh, that rhymed. I didn't even mean it to. Great. Boom. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think something we can take away from this discussion about Tudor England about the Ottoman Empire sort of subduing some of the religious wars in the Middle East for a little while about today is that tensions related to immigration have occurred before. They can go different ways depending on Mm -hmm. how those tensions arise. And there are situations that can either exacerbate those tensions or mitigate them. Mm -hmm. And we have quite a bit of history to look back on and see which policies were more effective than others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As we're thinking about these policies, you know, we can think of some of these policies as being fairly tolerant and accepting and some of these policies as being sort of more repulsive, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, limit immigration or, or you know, deport people that have come in uh, without um, documentation or screen certain kinds of people to make sure that certain kinds of people can't come in, etc. So we have these more repulsive and we have these more accepting policies. And I think it may be worth looking into, and I don't know the answer, whether some of the more accepting policies have also exacerbated mm-hmm. tensions during immigration periods that, that are surrounded by difficult times. I think it is intuitive to think that, oh, if we're accepting, if we're highly tolerant, the, the more that we're nice to people coming in, the better it will be. And being repulsive is always going to be bad and it's always going to make Mm -hmm. things worse. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Well, it's also like Elizabeth at first wanted to be very welcoming to them. And she actually, you know, tried to have policies in place that helped to bring people over and support the the Protestants. But it was the, she did it without the buy-in of the community, of Mm -hmm. her people, of her subjects. And so it's like there's different levels. Like the government can, can do their thing. But if the people don't go along with it, then it's still going to turn out. Right. Mm. I think that's a good point. So, as we come to the end of this show, I would like to remind everyone that Heather Tesco has a fantastic podcast called Renaissance England Podcast. You can get it on your favorite podcatcher, iTunes, Google Play, Mm -hmm. Overcast, Acast. All that stuff. And what's the website? Englandcast, E-N-G-L-A-N-D-C-A-S-T, englandcast.com. I also do Tudor Minutes on YouTube. So every week I do a little fun couple of minute snippet on couple so of much. couple of minute God, snippet on some kind of life in Tudor England and uh, sometimes Hannah does them with me because oh, uh, awesome. I do it when Hannah's not napping. <laughs> it's one of those I can't really work on my podcast when Hannah's not napping, but I can do a Tudor minute. Right. So um, yeah, so the, if you're on YouTube, I put my episodes there, but I also do the Tudor minute on YouTube. We'll put all of these links <laughs> up in the show notes. And if you liked the conversation today, where we took Tudor English history to reconsider some contemporary events. If you go listen to Heather's, uh, if you listen to Renaissance English podcast, Mm -hmm. we were guests there where we use reconsider principles to reconsider some historical narratives from Mm -hmm. Tudor English history. So it's basically the exact inverse. So be sure to check out that podcast. Indeed. Thank you so much for having me on, you guys. This has been fun. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Good times. I really appreciate it. You guys want to get some dinner? Yeah. <laughs> yeah cool. I think there's dinner in the oven out there. Woohoo! Yum. So remember, folks, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. reconsider. This is Andrew signing off. This is Eric signing off. 
And this is Heather, the guest, signing off. Bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.